You're listening to a message from Christian Life Ministries in Coventry, a dynamic, growing church in the heart of the nation. We pray that God will speak to you through this word and impact your life for His glory. Well, if you were here last week, you will know that today we are in the second of two weeks looking at giving, money, and stewardship, which is a subject we try and visit uh, once a year in the early part of our year. Very conscious if you're new here today, uh, welcome. Welcome to church. And uh, this wouldn't be my choice of message for your arrival, but as we try and move through uh, a godly curriculum of discipleship, we're going to touch on stewardship because it's such a key area in our lives. What we do with what God has placed in our hands And it's a real reflection of our heart. Jesus says, where your treasure is, your heart is also. Who knows that? God isn't after our money, but he's definitely after our hearts. God is a jealous God. So if you're you're new here among us, uh, and I make no apology for teaching this, but sensitive, this wouldn't have been first choice. If you're visiting us from another church, we pray that today's word would impact you and you'd go back and implement what you need to implement in the place where you are. Uh, So last week we looked at uh, free to give and this idea that God wants us to be free, wants us to be in a place of freedom in the area of stewardship, that we're not tense or awkward or offended or pressurized or worried or sad, like the rich young ruler said, went away sad because he couldn't rise to the challenge that Jesus gave him, but free to live generous and obedient lives. Of course, in, in any gathering like this, there's going to be a huge spectrum through circumstance and through season. People are going to be in different places. There are going to be people in the room where, where money is incredibly tight. It's an area of great pressure in your life. We, we have been in some of those seasons. I can remember when our children were little, we, we had to run a cash budget, which meant we, what we got paid, we, we got out in cash and put in envelopes, you know, this much for, for groceries. And when it was gone, it was gone. And I remember Esther, you know, getting to the checkout and having to, to put some things back because we didn't have enough. You know, we understand there can be those seasons through all different circumstances, and we know what that can feel like. We also, there are going to be some people who, through choices and maybe through other circumstances, find yourselves in debt and you're trying to climb your way out of that situation. And, uh, you know, for any of us, this cap money management course is going to be hugely helpful. Um, but there will be others who are in new seasons of prosperity where you've had a pay rise at work or you're just starting a new job. Uh, our eldest son uh, just uh, got a job recently and you know, he, he's, I mean, it's incredible the provision and blessing of God on his life. He's 16, he's doing his GCSEs and, and he's got this job. Uh, he's gone from a list of chores and £2.50 a week to about £100 a week. And uh, so I was like, my gosh, it's massive game changer for him. But, uh, but the great thing is, you know, he, he made a, a faith pledge last autumn, and I, he was in the first service. I wouldn't share this if he was here. But he said, Lord, this is what I feel you're asking me to give, but I'm going to need a job to be able to do this. And the, the Lord has opened up a door for him. But he's in new territory, and the challenge is going to come to him is how is he going to steward the new season in his life? And, uh, and the same will be true for some of you. And I, I want to encourage you that if you're... In a season of plenty, I, I urge you to live with eternity in mind. Now, what happens for most of us if we, we know we're going to get a pay rise, we, even before it's landed in our bank account, we've worked out how we're going to spend the extra, right? In fact, we've already found 10 ways that we could spend the extra. 
Um, and what we have to resist is the, what we looked at last week, the spirit of mammon, and to say, Lord, how do I steward this? I do believe God wants to pour his blessing over our lives, but also that we would live with eternity in mind. Maybe you're in a, a really challenging situation. Maybe you're in a bit of a, a hole that either you've dug for yourself or through other circumstances and not of your making. I want to remind you today that God is a deliverer. God, oh God is a God who can pull us out of the worst situation. We just have to journey with Him and keep prayerful and keep faithful. And we can see some situations miraculously turned around in our lives. Never forget that God is a deliverer. Never think that because you made some mistakes that God isn't interested in lifting you out. No, I, I am a, a walking testimony that some of the holes that I dug for myself, the Lord in His grace pulled me out of them. That's the God that we serve. Maybe uh, you're in a season of need and, and little and scarcity. I'd like to remind you today that the God we serve is Jehovah Jireh, the one who sees and who sees to it, whose arm is never too short. And we need to bring our request to him and see what he will do with our lives. Last week, we talked about needing to receive a revelation of ownership, that until we understand as believers that what is in our hands is not ours, but is his. That we are not owners, but we're stewards of what he's poured into us. We'll always have a struggle in the area of giving. At some point, we need a revelation that what is in our hands belongs to him. That the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. We talked also about needing to resist the spirit of mammon. To understand that money is not evil, but there is a spirit at work that wants our hearts. That will come after us. And we have to resist it and set our hearts on the Lord. Jesus said you cannot serve both God and mammon. You'll either love one and hate the other, serve one or serve the other. And also that we need to exercise faith in the provider. You know, it will always take faith to be faithful in the area of giving and substance. And these three keys can bring us to a place of freedom. Today, I want to look at first things. I wonder if we could say first things together. I want to look at... First things, there is a principle that runs right through the Bible, which is this, that the first and the best belong to God. And those who are in covenant relationship with Him are to bring the first and the best to Him, and He will pour out His everything upon them. This is a principle that we find running through the Bible. It finds expression and application in a number of ways. But one of the key ways is around the tithe or the tenth, that, that as a starting point, the, the tenth or the, the the 10%, the first 10% belongs to God. And I want to look at this today. I understand there will be those here who might say, well, hang on a minute, where's that come from? Is that Old Testament? And we're going to go on a journey today to understand how the spirit of first works in the world and how I believe we should behave as believers. Maybe you're here, you're not a Christian yet. Well, we're just absolutely thrilled you're in an environment of worship. But this message really is to those that have signed up, who maybe just stood and said, you know, I, I stand with, with arms high and heart abandoned. You're, all I am is yours. Well, this message is for you, if, if you sang that and meant that, because really we have to see how does this work out in our lives. The Bible speaks about a tithe. The, the Hebrew word masa uh, means the setting aside of a tenth. There will be those who are already and for a long time have practiced tithing, practiced giving of 10% to the Lord. And I know that your testimony will be God is faithful, that God has blessed me and has helped me. 
I've never spoken to anybody who's not stepped out in this area and has a different testimony other than to the one. I don't, I don't know how this works, but somehow it seems that God can do more with my 90% than I can do with my 100%. That, that is the testimony of those of us that have practiced tithing. And uh, we had a video uh, probably three or four years ago, some of our most senior members of the church talking about their journey in this area of giving and stewardship. And it was so great. Some of them, our dear Eric Higginson, who I believe is in his 80s now, you know, kind of saying, you know, we've been tithing since, you know, 1948 or whatever it was. And, you know, God has always been faithful. Oh, we've always had enough. But I'm also aware that, that there are those uh, who maybe have never stepped out in this area, and, and this might feel like a huge challenge, might feel like a, a, a huge area of, of faith or, or maybe of fear. You know, it reminds me a little bit of abseiling. Has anybody ever abseiled? That, that's where you kind of come, to, well, you'd know if you'd done it. Um, anyone's ever, yeah, a few people have abseiled. It's where you, if you've never done it, it's where you come on a rope kind of over the top of a, of a high place and you, like it could be a cliff, could be a natural face or a building, and you come down the outside on a rope. I remember going abseiling one time and uh, we, were, we were set to abseil down this tower. And from the ground, I remember looking up and thinking, that's not too bad. And then we climbed the stairs and at every landing point, it looked scarier and scarier. But ahead of me, there's this queue of people that are going up ahead of me and they're abseiling down. Nobody's backing out. No one's coming back down the stairs. But I'm thinking, I don't know if I should do this. I don't know if I can do this. And what happens is you get to the top and I've got my harness on and they, they link you up and they pull the rope and it comes taut. And you, you know that they've got you. And then you're, you're encouraged to shuffle to the edge of the precipice and... and and look down, and ultimately they want you to step out over the edge. It's the most unnatural thing in the world. So the first time I put a contact lens in my eye, it's like I, I, I didn't think I was designed to put stuff in my eye. You know, I'd spent the, the previous 20 years keeping stuff out of my eyes. And now this lady is saying, touch your eyeball. I'm going, I don't think I can do it. And, um, and here I am at the edge of this precipice, and the guy's saying to me, uh, are you okay? And I'm going, yeah, I'm fine. But inside I'm going, ah! I'm going, I, I can't do it, I can't do it, I can't do it. He said, are you okay? Yeah, I'm good. I can't do it, I can't say, ah. And, and I'm, I'm there, and my heart is thumping. But what has to happen is I have to take a step. And eventually I, I find the courage, I step out, and I go down. And, and who knows, when you start going, it's, it's okay. Now, my heart rate started to return to something a bit more normal. And then as I'm going down, I start to enjoy it. I start to release a little bit more, even kind of bounce off the edge of the, the face. And, and who knows what happens when you get to the bottom? You kind of go, I want to do this again, right? Um, but what happens is you go up again, you get to the top, and you get, you're on your heart, and you think, I can't do this. Why is that like tithing? Because... You know, some of us, we, we've maybe never taken a step in this area, and it feels like, I can't do this. You watch other people go down, but it's like, I'm not sure I can do this, and it feels scary. But by the grace of God, we've got to step out, and what we'll find is that it's okay. And then we'll get to the bottom, we'll probably think, that was great, I'm going to do this again. But we get to the point of committal, and then it's like, oh, this doesn't feel very natural again, even though I know that it worked, and it can be like that, but ultimately the question that I had to answer is, I, do I trust the instructor? 
Do I trust the guy who set this thing up, who's on the kit, who looks like he's got it together, he looks like he knows what he's doing, the, the rope seems sturdy, I'm going to trust him that this is going to be okay. You know, if there was a guy there who was smoking weed, didn't look like he was concentrating, the rope's all slack, I'll go, I'll take the stairs down, thanks, I'm good. And ultimately, it comes to that place, am I going to trust him in this area of my life? And today I want to look at why should I tithe and how should I tithe? Firstly, why, why should I tithe? I'd like to begin uh, this in the place where we finished last week, which is Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. We're going to come here as a starting point. We're not going to stay here throughout the message. This is what the Lord says in Malachi chapter 3, verses 6 to 12. I, the Lord, do not change. Note that, by the way. So you, the descendants of Jacob, are not destroyed. Ever since the time of your ancestors, you've turned away from my decrees and have not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord Almighty. But you ask, how are we to return? Will a mere mortal rob God, yet you rob me? But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You are under a curse, the whole nation, because you're robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. I will present, I will prevent, I'm sorry, pests from devouring your crops. The vines of your fields will not drop their fruit before it is ripe, says the Lord Almighty. Then all the nations will call you blessed, for yours will be a delightful land, says the Lord Almighty. This is the word of the Lord. Well, for a few minutes, I'm going to unpack the principle of first things. Uh, if you'd like a fuller explanation of this, I'd like to point you to a message that we did last year. Uh, you can go onto our website and to our podcast archive, the 19th of March last year, uh, a message called The Principle of First, and uh, you'll find that there, and uh, you can find more uh, in-depth than we're going to cover today, although I am going to cover the principle of first things. Here in Malachi, the people of God are being chastised by the Lord. God is in a covenant relationship with the nation of Israel. That they, He has chosen them, but in this season, he rebukes them and, and uses strong language. He says, you've turned away from my decrees and you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe and offering into my house. But then he says, test me in this and see if I will not open the windows of heaven. You see, they were a covenant people. They belonged to God and God belonged to them. God's promise to the nation of Israel who come through Abraham was to bless and protect and promote and presence himself among them, turn his face towards them, favor them as they showed themselves faithful to him. It was a reciprocal relationship. God who is always faithful. He says, if you are faithless, I will remain faithful. But here's a situation where, where he is looking for their response. And in this season, the nation have turned away. All things are out of whack. And one of the things that's out of whack is the principle of first things that has been implemented. They are, they're ignoring. They're, they're not running it. And he says, come back to me and you'll find that I will pour my blessing on you once again. But in this time, in this place, you're not living as you should live. See, the law had established how they should live. Many, many verses. If I pick out just a couple, Exodus 23, 19, the law said this, bring the best 
of the first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Leviticus 27 verse 30, a tithe, which means a tenth of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil or fruit of the trees, belongs, let's note that word, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. In marriage, we make a covenant. It's another covenantal relationship. And some of you that have got married are like Esther and myself. We, we didn't come to the front of a church and go, we're going to give this a go. We made a covenant. We made a commitment. Part of what we said was, um, all that I am, I give to you. And all that I have, I share with you, with you in the love of Christ. We, we made a covenant to one another. This, this was how it was going to be. Everything that I had was now hers. And everything she had was now mine. We belong to one another. But if one of us is to break that covenant, then, then the marriage is in jeopardy. And here is what's going on. It's the same. It's a covenantal relationship. God has said, if, if you trust me in this, if you outwork the principle of first things, then you will see that I will bless you. But you might ask, well, I don't understand how this works. Isn't this Old Testament? Isn't this law? Well, I need to back up a little. I need to back up and help us understand that the principle runs right through Scripture that God is first and God is best, and the first and the best belong to Him. This is before law, embodied in the law, and after the law. The first things belong to the Lord. It's the principle of first. So in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It said on the sixth day, He created male and female in His own image and likeness. And, and Adam and Eve are created. And on the seventh day, he, he made the Sabbath and he called it holy, a day that was holy to him. So for Adam and Eve, their first day was a day of worship, not a day of work. The, their very first day was a day that belonged to the Lord. You know, they've just been made. They're ready to go, right? They're, they're good to go. But the Lord says, no, before you do anything, have a day that is holy to me. Why? Because the first things belong to God. In Genesis chapter 4, we see Cain and Abel, uh, and it says that in the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering, but Abel brought the fat portions, verse 4 of Genesis 4, of some of the, which is the best bits, of some of the firstborn of his flock. So it's in the course of time, Cain brought some. It's a bit casual, but Abel brought the best bits of the firstborn before the Lord. And it says, And the Lord looked with Abel and his offering, because the Lord can never separate the offerer from the offering. He, brought, he looked with Abel and his offering. Uh, he looked, sorry, with favor upon Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. And then he challenged Cain. And he said, Cain, well, why don't you just do what is right? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted too? Why? Because there's a principle of first things. The Lord says, and I want to bless you. Just bring the first things to me, and I'll pour out my everything on you. This is before the law. You can work through the Old Testament. Many, many examples. Abraham uh, meets Melchizedek. Melchizedek is the, the high priest of Salem. We understand that. Uh, I'm not going to go into the detail of it. This is an appearing of Christ to Abraham. And it says that Abraham gave him a tenth of everything he had. It doesn't say that, that Melchizedek asked for it. It appears almost like this is a heart response. He encounters God and can't help himself giving first and best. The same thing happens when Jacob encounters God at Bethel. And he says, I will give you a tenth of everything I have. It seems like this came out of Jacob. It's before the law. We see an instance where the Lord says to Abraham, will you give me your firstborn, your, your your first son, 
Isaac brought firstborn to you and Sarah, the child of promise. And, and he goes and he's ready to make that sacrifice, to give even his son. And, and the Lord doesn't actually want the son. He wants to see that this principle is in play, that the first things, he's willing to give the first things to God. In Exodus 13, verse 1 to 2, which I think uh, will come up on the screen, it says, Consecrate to me every firstborn male, the firstborn offspring of every womb among the Israelites belongs, it's that language again, belongs to me whether man or beast. And this is all before the law. And then the law comes in, some of the verses that we've already visited, and the Lord sets up a structure within Israel for how this is going to play out. Different offerings, wave offerings, heap offerings, but also the tithe that the first tenth comes to the Lord. And so in Proverbs 3.9, it says, Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of all your crops, and then your barns will be fulfilled to overflowing. There's provisions for most occasion, but where, where the scriptures don't provide for it, then the Lord speaks anyway. So when the people of Israel go into the promised land, the first city that they're going to take is Jericho, and the Lord says, all the plunder of Jericho belongs to me. Bring the gold, the silver, the bronze, and the iron into the temple treasury, because it is sacred unto the Lord. Every city after that, the plunder was for the people, but the first city, the plunder belonged to the Lord. Why? Because the first and the best belong to God. This is covenant relationship. Now, some of you will be thinking, oh, wait, we're still in the Old Testament. I don't get this. But I, I want us to understand this. This is the most important thing I think I'm going to say today. And it's this. It's the law doesn't invent the principle. The law doesn't invent the principle. It's not like you know, Moses went up the mountain, came down with Ten Commandments, and the people go, really? Wow, I wasn't expecting that. I might have guessed a couple of them, but that is brand new information. It, the, the, the law doesn't invent the principle. Rather, the law articulates the principle. The, the law articulates the principle. There's a principle that the first and the best belong to God. The living God, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the one who we serve, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the first and the best belong to him. And the law articulates the principle. It captures it. It embodies it and lays it down because the Lord is looking forward to a people on whose hearts his ways are written by the Holy Spirit. But who in those days, the Holy Spirit was not poured out on old people, so he, he wrote it down so they knew how to live. That's what the law is. Then when Jesus comes, he says, I did not come to abolish the law. I came to fulfill the law. So what happens is uh, Jesus comes, he didn't, doesn't abolish the law, he fulfills it, and the principle doesn't cease to exist, rather it reaches its fulfillment. So Jesus comes and explains what the principle will fully look like when it's worked out. What, what has been existing in the law is not to be forgotten, but it's like a shadow. It's like what, what was the ceiling has now become the floor. So Jesus says this in Matthew 5, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen, will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you that unless 
Let's note this. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees, those who are the most diligent in working out the law, unless your righteousness surpasses that, we're in a season of grace now. Grace always exceeds law. Unless your righteousness surpasses that of the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, you will certainly not enter the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus calls us to higher ground still. He then goes straight on to illustrate this. And you can check this out in in Matthew chapter 5. And he talks about murder and he talks about adultery as examples. So he says, for instance, you have, immediately after this, he says, you've heard it said, do not murder. You see, there's a principle in God that we should honor the life that God has put in one another. Right? We probably accept that. God created man and woman in his own image and likeness. And it is given that we should honor life within one another. So in the law, he says, do not murder. Jesus says, you've heard it say, do not murder. And he says, I say to you, do not get angry with one another. Do not call your brother raka, which means idiot. Jesus is saying, the seed of murder is anger. The, the real honoring of life, true honoring of life. If you want to live this principle out fully, then, then even if you feel yourself getting angry, pull back. Because that's the true honoring of life. And what was the ceiling becomes the floor. He says the same thing around adultery. He says, you, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. There is, it is given that man and woman should honor one another in marriage and be faithful to one another. And so in the law it says, so do not commit adultery. But Jesus says, you've heard it said, do not commit adultery. I say to you, do not lust after another woman. He says, the, the real principle is purity and holiness, that true faithfulness. And what was the ceiling becomes the floor. Is this making sense to anybody? So the principle is that. So there's a principle that the first and the best belongs to God. And it's embodied in the law. And we are now in a new covenant. Does that mean we forget it because it was the law? No, it actually, you know, the, the fulfillment of the principle is it all belongs to God. But it doesn't mean that that was the ceiling now gets forgotten. I believe we should continue as God's faithful people to work this out. Which is exactly what Jesus says in Matthew 23, 23. So Jesus is with the Pharisees. And you might say, if Jesus said to tithe, I'd do it. Well, well, this is what he says. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, cumin. But what he's saying here is you tithe to the nth degree. You open up a packet of biscuits and every tenth one you put aside. Like this, is, this is how you are. You get a, a pack of 10 pens and you'll, you'll give one to the Lord. This is how diligent you are with your tithing. But he says, but you've neglected the more important matters of law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. And then he says this, you should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. Without neglecting the former. So I'm saying, forget the former. We've now moved on to other things. He said, Continue with where we were, but let's move to higher ground now. So, the tithe is the expression of a principle fulfilled in Christ. You see, we can say, well, it all belongs to God and then give nothing. Or give occasionally, because it all belongs to Him anyway. And, and what can happen is we, we can be erratic and I've found tithing now for 28 years, it is a very powerful discipline as a starting point in my life that every month when it comes around, I am reminding myself in the most practical way possible that the first and the best belongs to God, that, that I am his and that he is mine. 
You know, the principle of first, it also, I'm talking on, on money giving and stewardship, but the principle of first relates in many ways to our lives. The honoring of Sabbath. You know, for us, our expression as a family, you know, inside and outside of church leadership has to always attend the house of God on the Lord's day because the first and the best belong to him. And sometimes we can think, well, I'm really busy, but, but part of our trust, part of seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added is that we're going to work out in our lives living with him as first. So there was a, a lady in our first service who she's studying, she's got massive deadline pressure. She's got two big assignments due in tomorrow morning. We had a key workers gathering yesterday morning. She was there. I said, like, how you doing? She told me about what, how our studies are going and her pressure. And I said, I said, like, I honor you for coming this morning. I said, well, many people might have said, I'm really sorry. I'm under too much pressure. I'm not going to be able to come. And then here she is in the service today. Why? Because this is part of her faith. That she says, Lord, I'm going to come and worship and trust that somehow the, the 10 hours that could have been 13 hours, you're going to somehow help me to get further. But the first and the best belong to you. You know, we as a family, well, as, as a couple, we've been tithing from before we got married and, uh, and through getting married. And the Lord has been so gracious to us. You know, at the age of 19, I, I was a student at university. I'd been a Christian for a couple of years, and we spoke about last year having a revelation of ownership, and I said, I can't remember exactly when it was, but it was definitely in that season. I had this revelation of ownership that everything actually belonged to God. I needed to view what was in my hand as his, not mine. And I can remember as an outworking of that beginning to tithe. I had a grant that came in which was so far short of what was needed, but it was a bit of money that came in. And I can remember taking a tenth of that and giving it into my local church at the time and saying, Lord, I don't know how this works. This, this looks crazy on paper, but I'm going to trust you. And it's amazing how the Lord looked after me. I finished university 14 pounds in credit. It was a modern day miracle. I remember two months after taking a step, and it, it always works this way that you have to take a step, and then the Lord responds. He said, return to me and, and see if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. We want it like, Lord, just open the floodgates of heaven, and, and, and then. And I can remember a couple of months after I'd begun to tithe, I, I returned home from study to the city of Nottingham, and I needed to get a job, and I spent a couple of weeks, some of you have heard this story before, a couple of weeks, I landed home. I'm trying to get a job. I mean, anything. I'm knocking any door. I'm going, handing my CV. I've signed on to every temping agency that existed in the city. I got absolutely nothing. I was willing to do anything at any time, well, as long as it was ethical and legal, uh, just to earn money. And uh, I remember after a couple of weeks, I was like, Monday morning, I got on my knees. I prayed by my bed. I was like, Lord, you've got to help me here. Now, the best paid job for students in that time in Nottingham was in a pork pie factory called Pork Farms. Some of you will have eaten a, a Pork Farms pork pie. And um, it was well known among students in the city that they paid better than anybody else. They had this crazy hourly rate, but it was so popular that like you had to apply to work the summer at Christmas, and, uh, and there were about 100 people on a waiting list. And I'm kneeling by my bed. I was like, Lord, you've got to help me out. I'll do anything, Lord. Just get me a job. And I said, Lord, I want to find out by Wednesday. I want to start in a week's time. And I told him how much I wanted to earn an hour. And I said to him, oh, me of little faith, but I don't suppose you'll sort that out. And the Holy Spirit said to me, phone Port Farms. 
And I said, Lord, that, that ain't going to work. It's like they've got a waiting list. It's like, you know, clearly he didn't know how it worked, but I did. So I just kind of educated him, um, just, you know, brought him up to speed as to how things worked in Nottingham because, you know, he's got the whole universe to look after, so probably wasn't close to the detail. And, um, and the Holy Spirit said, phone port funds. I was like, look, I, I know this isn't going to work. They've got a waiting list. It's, it, have you ever had the God prod? So I went downstairs. I mean, I, I'm quite old now, so there was a telephone book, and there was, a, there was like a dial phone. Some, some of you young people are looking at me going, I didn't understand that statement, uh, but some of you will, will know what I'm on about. And I phoned Port Farms. A lady picked up the phone and said, hello, Port Farms. said, oh, can you put me through to Human Resources, please? Put me through to Human Resources. I said, hi, uh, my name's Martin. I'm a student. I'm, I'm, just, I'm just wondering if you've got any summer work. She said, it's funny you should phone right now. She said, a director's just come in and, and wants me to take on four more temps. She, she said, can you get yourself down here in an hour? Because if you can, you can start tomorrow. And I queue jumped 100 people. I mean, I jumped on my bike. I got down there. I started the next day. And partly through that, I mean, I, I, was, I was earning crazy money for a student. Cash in a brown envelope at the end of the week in those days. And you might say, well, what about the 100 people ahead of you? I, I don't know. It's called favor. But here's the thing. Test me in this, says the Lord. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven. I'd never say give to get, but this is a journey of faith that we have to go on. I'd like us to look, secondly, at how, how should I tithe? Why should I tithe? How should I tithe? I'm not talking about methods of payment, but I want to consider as we accept the principle, our attitude and our practice. Firstly, with faith. This is an expression of faith. If it's, if it's been lost on you, please don't think this was any easier for Israel than it is for us. Is it any easier when you enter the promised land and there's no guarantees of a second city, but you plunder Jericho? Is, is it any easier to give that all to the Lord? Is it any easier to give the first 10% of your crops when you don't know if a storm is going to come and dash the rest? It always was a position of faith. It was designed to be a position of faith. There are some who are going to say, well, I, I can't afford to. What you're really saying is, this is going to require faith. Well, it's meant to. We have to give out of faith. It is an expression of our faith. For us and our family, every month that we tithe, which is every month, it's an expression of faith. We're saying, Lord, we trust you. And I would encourage any of you that have not stepped out just to step out and see what he'll do. I do know some people who, who said, I, I just didn't feel I could make the whole step. And so I went on a journey. And said, so I started like first month. I said, Lord, I'll give 2% the first month. And, and, and then I believed to, to give 4% the second month and went on a journey and, and got there according to their own faith. And the Lord honors that. Secondly, with integrity of heart. We should give with integrity of heart. There are some questions that have come up practically about tithing, particularly recently in our rooted journey through life groups, that I don't believe the Bible is unequivocal in answering. I don't believe I can give you chapter and verse on why you should do things a certain way. And we've talked about this, because for five years we've, we've not said anything of what I'm about to say, because we just really want to open the Scriptures but people have said, well, what's your opinion? My, my, my number one opinion is, on any of the areas I'm going to talk to you, you talk about now, you, you've got to come with your own integrity of heart before the Lord. I, I'm not going to tell you you've got to do it like this or you've got to do it like that. What I can tell you is this is how we have lived and why. A lady came to me last week 
And she said, I'm, I, I'm, I need your advice. Should I do this or should I do that? And I said, well, I don't think the Bible's specifically clear on that. So I'm not going to answer that for you. What I'm going to ask you to do is go away, pray, seek the Lord, and find the peace of God. Colossians 3.15 says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. The word rule means umpire. It's like a tennis umpire. Let, if something's written in the Bible, that's it. If it's not written in the Bible, let the peace of Christ be the umpire in your heart as to what is right. So I hope you hear me on this. But one of the questions that comes up is, should I, should I tithe gross or net? Well, the Bible doesn't answer that question specifically. But we've always, and when I say we've always, this is for nearly 30 years, in season and out of season, with, in seasons of challenge and difficulty, on church staff, off church staff, in congregation, in leadership, we've always tithed gross. Now, what I mean by gross or net is if you earn a salary and you're an employee and you're on pay as you earn, which probably most people in the room are if you're working, then what happens is the inland revenue, uh, they very politely take their slice before you get any. Which means that if you earn £2,000 a month, it will say like gross pay £2,000 a month. But when you get it, it's minus tax, it's minus national insurance, it's maybe minus pension contributions, and you get a net amount. It might be £1,500 in that example. And the question is, you know, should, should I tie the amount that actually has arrived at me? Because that feels like that, that's what I've got. £150 in that instance, or, or should I be tithing on the gross amount? You need to act with integrity of heart. The reason we've always tithed gross is, number one, this is a faith journey anyway. And number two is we're trying to outwork a principle of first. So if it really, if I could have my way, it would all come to me, and I'd give the first tenth to the Lord before I gave anything to the tax man. But that's us. The second thing that comes up is, is should we tithe to the local church? Or can I split my 10% across a number of directions? And I'm not saying you've got to do this, but we've always, over the, those 28 years, we've always tithed to our local church wherever we've worshipped. And, and there's four reasons for this. Number one, we believe the tithe belongs to the Lord and offerings are over and above. We believe if we want to give to other things, that's by offerings, but the tithe belongs to the Lord. Malachi talks about you robbing me in tithes and offerings. And offerings in the Old Testament were for various causes. But the tithe was brought into the Lord's house. The tithe was there so that the Lord's house of worship could run. The Levites who had no land, who had no crops, they ministered before the Lord. And it was the tithe of the nation that made that work. And offerings were for other things. So for us, we've always brought, brought our tithe into the house of the Lord. We, there's a bit for us of how else can we return God's tithe to him other than to his house. And, and for us, you know, we've, we've been on a stretch season. The last 18 months, the Lord has massively challenged us and stretched us in the area of offerings. You know, over the last 18 months, we have been, we've been giving around 30% of our income away, and it has looked impossible. 10% in tithes and, and, and the rest in offerings. You're never going to hear me say we double or triple tithe. I don't believe you can. The tithe is 10%. It's like you, you can't do a bit of tithing. You can't tithe 2%. Tithe is a tenth. But offerings are over and above that. And that's where, where we seek to function. The Lord has helped us. We've been on an incredible journey of faith. Not giving out of abundance, but giving out of faith. And the Lord 
helps us as we continue to go on that journey. Secondly, we believe the local church is God's plan on the earth. Jesus said, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. We believe the primary outworking of the purposes of God and the kingdom of God are through his local church. We passionately believe that. It's not to say we wouldn't give direct to need as we become aware of it. It's not that we wouldn't give to other organizations because we do that. But in terms of the the tithe, we, we bring it to the Lord's house because we believe that the local church is the primary way that he outworks. So for instance, like here at CLM, you know, most seasons of hardship are met through life groups, one with another, but we also, we administrate as elders a hardship fund out of the ties that come in for those that we know are in acute need. We also, out of the ties that come in, we support missions we have. We talk about 10 missions partners. So last year, 2017, just to illustrate, and this doesn't include the 12,000 pound we gave this year to the Higher Tall Message Trust. Last year, 2017, we were able to give over 52,000 pounds out to other missions organizations, not including any staff time, like, you know, Esther on Winter Night Shelter, myself on Higher Tour. We were able to give away. Isn't that awesome? I'm not, I didn't know that until Friday. I knew roughly where we were, but we did the maths on it. We need to do better at celebrating that. So it doesn't become an either or. So we tithe into the local church to enable mission. Thirdly, we believe that this is the clearest New Testament pattern. I don't believe the Bible says you've got to do it like this. And maybe there are some options now exist that that didn't exist then. But the Bible says in the book of Acts that when people gave, they came and brought what they had, the phrases, to the apostles' feet. And I can remember as a as a, young, as a youngish Christian, out of university, working in a marketplace job, not in any position of leadership, but understanding that really I had a responsibility to bring the tithe, that, that those that were my leaders had a responsibility before God to administrate what was brought as they felt led by the Holy Spirit. This is what Acts 4 says, For from time to time those who owned land and houses sold them, brought the money from the sales and put it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to anybody as he had need. Joseph, a Levite from Cyprus, whom the apostles called Barnabas, sold a field that he owned, brought the money and put it at the apostles' feet. And so for us, that has been our expression, to come and bring what we have and leave it before the leaders to administrate, to, to submit and not control. Fourthly, we have a passion for God's house. And I can't, I can't deny, we love the church. We're just, that's who we are. We love the church. Whether in leadership or not, we're passionate about the church of Jesus Christ. There's nothing delights us more than coming into the presence of God and worshiping with others. We love being part of a church that can flourish and grow, where lives can be transformed and disciples can be made, where where a voice prophetically can reach into the city and the kingdom can come. We love the church. So it's never been hard for us to bring what we have. We also understood when our kids were little, going into an incredible kids' work, that actually if we're going to pay for the mortgage and pay for the lighting and there are some staff needed to mobilize teams to disciple our kids, we better be ready to invest in that because somebody's paying the bill. And it ain't the Vatican. It comes from the giving of the Lord's people. And I'm not saying any of that to manipulate you. You've got to act with integrity of heart. But so many people have asked us that we've resisted for five years. So there you are. That's what we do and that's why we do it. 
But what I'd say to you, there's an amen on the second row. Come on. Why don't we give God some praise? Yes. I've heard preachers take Malachi 3 and say, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse and say the storehouse means the church. I've just got to say, for me, I can't make that conclusion and preach it to you as scripture. I don't think, I don't think that's clear enough to make that conclusion. But those are our reasons for giving in the way that we give. But you've got to do what you feel is right to do for you. Tamsin, come and help me because I, I need to finish. I know it's warm. She starts to play. Don't fall asleep. Stay with me for two last points. The, the third way I believe we should tie this with joy. You know, the Lord, the Lord has given so much. You know, sometimes what can happen is we see a new pair of trainers and, whoa, we really want them. You know what happened on Good Friday? We gathered here as about 500 people or so. We remembered the cross and we remembered how much Jesus had given. And there's something beautiful. And you know, in that moment, everything in my heart, it's just a joy to give to the Lord because how much more has He given to me? May I never be found, found begrudging. I love the message version of 2 Corinthians chapter 9, 6 to, to 7, which says this, Remember, a stingy planter gets a stingy crop. A lavish planter gets a lavish crop. I want each of you to take plenty of time to think it over, make up your own mind of what you'll give. That will protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. God loves it when the giver delights in the giving. Let's be those who delight in the giving because the Lord loves that. And finally, with consistency, I find it interesting in Malachi 3 where it says from the Lord, Bring the whole tithe. He, he, he says, you're robbing me in tithes and offerings. Bring the, bring the whole tithe. He uses this Hebrew word kol, which means everything. It means the, the sum total of. Bring, bring the whole tithe. Why does he need to say that? I mean, the tithe's the tithe. Well, you, you can't bring the part tithe, but, but maybe people were bringing some stuff. In chapter 1, it says that there were diseased animals that were being sacrificed before the Lord. Where he said, bring your first, bring your best. Bring an unblemished lamb. And it says they're bringing crippled animals in and making them the sacrifice. And he says, bring the whole tithe. And I want to encourage us, if we're going to trust and honor the Lord in this area of our lives, if we're going to embrace the principle of first things, that we need to be consistent. That's why lots of people in the church set up standing orders. And, and next week in 3E News, we'll make some information available. I just don't want to bring that today. Like we're looking for people to respond out of emotion. We're not. Go away, think it through, pray. It'll protect you against sob stories and arm twisting. But we need to be consistent in our giving, not erratic. Who knows, you can't do a bit of tithing. If you tithe in January, but not again till October, you only gave 1%. You know, as we come into land, I'm reminded of Jimmy Evans from The Blessed Life that we looked at last year. He said, giving changed my family. It broke a spirit of poverty off my life and an orphan spirit off my life. And I know God because of giving. And I can stand here and say the same is true for us. The Lord has stretched us so much. But He's proved Himself to us so much. One of the ways I know God is through trusting Him in this. As I have stepped out over the edge in this area, I've seen Him come through for me. And it's one of the ways that I know Him. And my invitation to you is to trust Him. That's my invitation. I dare you to trust Him because you will find that He who is able is faithful. 
And as we close, I wonder before we sing, if we can take a moment to pray, it might help you to close your eyes. And I want to ask you not, not what have you heard me saying to you, but what's the Holy Spirit saying to you? It's the Holy Spirit speaking to you today. Is there something you need to do? Is there a step of faith and trust that you need to implement? Maybe you've been faithful in this area for many years and the Lord would come and say, keep trusting me. And this is an expression and outworking of our worship. Maybe for some of us, we've taken a step, but we've become a bit erratic and the Holy Spirit would would come again and say, keep trusting me. So I pray, Lord, for every person here. Would you help us to honor you? Would you help us to put you first in our lives and to give you and bring you not the leftovers but the first and the best I pray help us truly to understand what it means to be a covenantal people that as we bring you our first and our best you open the windows of heaven over our lives and your everything becomes ours as well and I pray for every person that is seeking to trust you in this area according to your word Lord you say your promises are yes and amen in Christ so according to your word I pray, would you open the windows of heaven over their lives that they might know, not that they give to get, but as they give and honor, they would know your blessing and favor and goodness and kindness. Let your name be honored. In our midst, we pray. Amen. Amen.